I'm Brent Grinna, and welcome to The Raise Podcast. We're talking to innovative advancement leaders who aren't satisfied with the status quo. Fundraising is in flux. Revenue's up, but donor counts are dropping. Phonathons are struggling and mass marketing isn't moving the needle. And our largest donors are increasingly feeling tapped out and challenging us to identify the next generation of supporters. But advancement isn't going extinct. It's being reinvented. That's why we're introducing the Raise podcast hosted by me, Brent Grinna, CEO of Evertrue. Join us as we push the boundaries to ensure future generations can benefit from access to education. On today's episode, I speak with Arup Banerjee, CEO of Windfall. Evertrue and Windfall recently announced a partnership to bring net worth calculations and dozens of capacity indicators into our TrueView profiles. Arup and I will chat about how Windfall is changing the game for higher ed institutions, and we'll spend a little time talking about how Arup started his own entrepreneurial journey. It has something to do with the Ecuadorian embassy and an innovative 14-year-old. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the Raise podcast. I am joined by a special guest today, an ever-true partner, Arup Banerjee, who's the CEO and founder of a company called Windfall. And Arup, welcome to the show. I uh, am excited uh, to, to have you as a guest to talk a little bit about some of the work that we're doing together. want to learn more about your journey. But I was going back through my emails and slacks uh, to just try to recall the first time that I heard about Windfall. And I, got, uh, I found a slack from my colleague, Evan Pingree, who's our vice president of product management, who sent me a note after I think you all met at a Nedra conference. And he said, I'm really interested in this company, Windfall. I think they could be a great partner for our work on the major gift discovery front. And that is a bit of a, of a segue to uh, who you are and, and what you're working on at Windfall. But why don't you kind of give us a quick background? What is Windfall and why are you on our podcast today? Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me to uh, speak here today. Really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about the partnership that we have, uh, coming out here with Evertrue, um, to give a little bit about me, um, from my background. Uh, I actually grew up right outside the DC area. Um, and, uh, Bethesda, Maryland, uh, I ended up going to, uh, Duke for my undergrad majored in computer science and economics there. Um, actually never used that in a uh, professional sense until I, in, until I got to the startup world, but uh, went over into finance, uh, investment banking, and then a venture capital growth equity. Um, ended up focused on a lot on data or infrastructure related companies, um, which led me to my MBA, uh, which I got at Berkeley um, and have been in the Bay Area ever since. So that's where uh, Windfall is actually headquartered in San Francisco. Um, after my MBA, I, I focused on data-related companies. I ended up working at companies like Box on their enterprise side, um, and then in a cloud BI company called Good Data, um, which was really focused on both consumer and, and B2B companies as well. Um, and uh, you know, from, from where I sit and my vantage point, I think my entire career has a, a pretty consistent theme, which is this idea-bound data or, or data-driven products. Um, and how do you actually leverage that to build a better experience for your ultimate customers who are then bettering themselves uh, utilizing the data that you're actually giving to them? That is definitely a common thread. And so I want to know, does it go back to like middle school? I mean, when, what, like, when would we have first met Arup and been like, this guy is all about data? Uh, that's a great question. 
<clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think there's a, probably my first startup um, that I created was, uh, I actually had a web development company when I was around 14 years old. And this is back when websites were a kind of uh, very nascent um, for most businesses. And my whole idea behind this was trying to understand how you actually captured that type of data um, around your consumers and analyzed it. And then ultimately it really led me to want to major in computer science. At the time, there were really no programs um, at my school that were offering computer science programs. Um, so instead, I kind of went out and learned how to do it myself and then was collecting a lot of information around for small businesses specifically on how they could capture leads uh, through their systems and how I could actually help them increase their funnel. Um, and so at 14 years old, I actually uh, ended up signing some pretty large uh, customers, including the Embassy of Ecuador, who wanted to understand their tourism for the United States. Um, and then ultimately uh, led that to uh, my next startup when I started at Duke, uh, which was around pedestrian mapping and how to actually map it out with data. I love it. So you've been entrepreneurial for, for a long time. And uh, I wish I could see 14-year-old Rube doing a demo to the uh, Ecuadorian embassy, but, uh, but we'll just have to imagine that for now. And so you, you, you go to Duke, you sort of continue down this path. Um, and then... Ultimately, you know, we, we have some shared experiences in, in that I also worked in the investment banking field and spent a couple of years in the private equity space. And I always, in, in those environments, was uh, I always felt like I wanted to be on the other side of the table. I always felt more connected to the entrepreneurs than, than sort of the fellow investors. Is that something you experienced as well? Or, you know, what, what ultimately kind of led you or inspired you to take the leap and, and move from being kind of contributor to, to founder? Yeah, I think, I think the background that we share is pretty interesting, right? In those fields, you actually get a lot of exposure to different business models and ultimately what is working, what's not working, even as you're a, a junior in that field, yeah. um, the exposure is actually pretty great. And the foundation that you get um, with the attention to detail and ultimately how you can look through the entire life cycle of a business um, and, and gain leverage out of it. Uh, it was something that I really took away from that. But yeah, you're exactly right. Um, anytime I saw a business and I was looking at them and they went from zero to 10 million in three years, I was like, oh, I can totally do that. Um, and I know I can do that a lot quicker with the technology that I know how to build. Yeah. Um, of course, that's very uh, naive of, of, yeah. of kind of, uh, I will put it in early 20s, Arup. Um, obviously, it's a lot uh, harder to do that when you actually put pen to paper. Um, but it was something that inspired me to look at other entrepreneurs, see how they grew their companies. And uh, potentially that's why I ended up going and gaining my MBA is kind of round out my skill set um, and really progress to where we are out today with Windfall. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the aha moment for Windfall, because I will say that having first, you know, I, I founded Evertrue in 2010 and from my earliest moments on, it just became clear that, uh, that there was a massive portion of revenue being generated by a relatively small number of donors in the advancement space. And within you know, weeks probably of even thinking about this concept, I am sure that I was first introduced to the idea of a wealth rating. It's been around for a long time, either via manual work or uh, other companies in the space. And so this idea of just trying to understand um, net worth or what somebody, uh, 
uh, has at their disposal from a, from a financial perspective has implications for any sector that deals with consumers and, and certainly for one uh, in the philanthropic sector where the price point is effectively uncapped. Uh, it's, it's paramount to be able to understand that kind of data. So it's been happening for a long time, internal and external sources, yet you felt like there was a way to build a better mousetrap and, and, and go down this path. What was that moment? Sure. And data is really tough. It's, it's a, I, I always talk about this and uh, one of our first investors, Oren Hoffman, um, and I actually uh, collaborated. He, he, he wrote a nice piece around data as a service businesses. Um, and what's really interesting about and, and the paradigm of, of why we started Windfall was on my previous company that I was uh, the head of product, um, we really focused on business data. And specifically, we were always very, uh, I guess, uh, starry-eyed at the consumer space because we always believed that the B2B marketers of the world were way behind the B2C marketers. Um, now, I think that's probably true to a certain degree when you think about ad tech. But when you think about data-driven decisions, um, it, it certainly was not the case. Um, in fact, there was a study that was uh, put out by Deloitte uh, back in 2018, 2017, um, around the fact that most consumer data is around 50% accurate. Well, that's pretty bonkers. And in, in fact, they, they followed that up with saying, well, digital marketers are, are wasting over $20 billion a year on this problem um, just because they have the wrong data associated with thinking about who is their ideal uh, customer persona or who's their ideal donor persona. And that's, again, pretty staggering when you think about it, but that's what the status quo has been for the past 40 years. And I think the nonprofit space is pretty interesting because, as you just mentioned, um, there are a lot of uh, folks that have been data-driven for the last 30 or 40 years. Um, the problem with it is that most people thought about net worth and wealth as almost being a bad word, right? We, we started thinking about things like, gift capacity instead, because that was a little bit easier for us to comprehend and actually have some deterministic inputs into it versus a modeled out variable where it could be grossly overestimated or underestimated. So most people are thinking about things like household income. That was kind of my favorite one when I was working in, in business intelligence that people would bring in as a proxy for wealth. Um, or in the nonprofit world, uh, we can think about home values as being another proxy. Well, there's some issues with both of those things, right? If I make $100,000 in Montana versus $100,000 in Manhattan, um, as I extrapolate that over time, that's really, really different in terms of the wealth profile of that individual or that household. Similarly, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're located in SF Bay Area. It's seemingly every house is over a million dollars. That certainly doesn't indicate that everybody is a millionaire. Uh, a lot of folks are stretching themselves uh, pretty dramatically and, and certainly don't have that gift capacity the same way. So we, ironically, because you have a million dollar house, you're way less likely to be able to give. <laughs> exactly. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Right. You have that huge mortgage payment, you have kids, yeah. whatever else along those lines. And so for, for us, we kind of said, okay, there's this massive opportunity with really poor data. That's really based off survey and census data. And we really do believe given our backgrounds in data science and the new approaches and new technologies, how we can actually leverage that and take this dirty word of net worth and make it actionable. Um, so that's really what our pursuit was, was to help organizations and, and nonprofits uh, identify, understand, and ultimately engage um, their most affluent prospects and donors. And if you could be a little more specific about 
you know, being respectful of, of competition, but, but uh, why in 2019, 2020, is it possible to solve this in ways that um, haven't been possible in the past? Does that make sense? Sure. So I think why now, like why now for windfall versus 10 years ago or, or five years from now, like, is there something about this moment from a technology perspective that has made it easier to harness this data in a way that has been uh, tricky in the past, or is it more just a new approach and, and new set of um, skills from, from you and your colleagues, for example? Sure. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, is from one of our uh, leading investors uh, called bullpen capital. And they explicitly told me that, Arup, you're crazy enough to try and take on these legacy giants um, who have not innovated in the space in the last 40 years. Um, there are behemoths outside of, uh, you know, the traditional wealth vendors um, that are uh, akin to what most folks uh, are thinking in the credit space, uh, like Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. They actually have massive marketing data services programs that are upwards of billions of dollars in revenue. Um, and to take them on uh, when you're a seemingly smaller company is a fairly large task at hand. Um, so for us, you know, we believe that one, um, we have the technology to constantly update and have this fresh approach where we didn't, uh, we could take those risks, we could innovate. Um, and we actually spent the first year of the business not actually selling anything to any customer, but really building the data asset the right way. Um, so that we could gain the trust of our of our end customers, um, and that was huge for me because after building several data uh, related companies um, and looking at the product suite, unless you have trust and accuracy and thinking about what those use cases are, taking on those behemoths is is kind of a a non-starter. Yeah. Um, so for us, we really had to kind of focus um, and really understand that we were uh, going after this market and we need to do it very thoughtfully. Yeah, I mean, one of my uh, earliest memories with with a, an investor here in town, a guy named Antonio Rodriguez with Matrix Partners, um, he, he shared this line. He said something like, look, when you're uh, approaching a sector that's dominated by incumbents like ours is, you need to be 10x better and 10x more cost effective or else people won't switch. Like there's just too much inertia and friction around technology and data and and the status quo that you really need to have that kind of standard. And I don't know if I believed him at the time, but uh, I absolutely have come to um, have come to accept that. And, and, and as it relates to windfall, you know, part of what we have been trying to do from our position at Evertrue is how do we sort of play mystery shopper and get to know companies like yours and, and do a bit of our own assessment and then think about ways that the data could be applied uh, into our platform in a way that would make it, you know, better, better for the end, end customer. And I think what struck us uh, in, in kind of asking that same question is like, why might Windfall be 10x better than the alternative approaches? Um, a couple of things stood out. I think the focus on net worth for sure, but really this idea around being able to have a living and breathing wealth data set so that we are not in this cycle of every three years or five years or when the campaign is over, sending out our data, getting it screened again, getting it back into our system, which is not that easy to access anyway. And then, you know, having it in a bunch of spreadsheet exports, what would it look like to integrate a living and breathing net worth indicator into the Evertrue profile 
and be able to set up alerts and proactive intelligence in a way that hasn't been done before. So, you know, that's, that's what struck us, but I'm curious when you think about um, the importance of integrations and how do we ensure that windfall doesn't become, you know, yet another silo, like siloed, interesting, but siloed data point. Um, how, how have you been approaching that topic? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I don't think we, we touched on it um, very early on, but we update our data every week. Um, and net worth is only one component of our various attributes that we actually offer. And to your point, um, I think a lot of the things that have changed over the last um, couple of years, especially in the wealth screening space, and, and, and might be because we entered the market and said like, hey, this is kind of silly to do it once every three or five years and maintain that data set. People change. Right, the markets move every day. They fluctuate. Um, we're in a r rapidly increasing economy that has seen the largest expansion um, ever. And, and and at the same time, if there's a you know a recession, um, you know in the future, like that does change people's profiles. And for us, we we really want to be that historian associated with wealth, um, and ensure that we understand and can relay that information back to our customers. So our entire business model and where I think Evertrue actually helps us uh, activate this data in a very nice way is the fact that we do refresh this on everybody in our data set every week. We're, we're crazy enough to tear down our database, rebuild it, and say, yep, this is what we believe to be the source of truth this week. Um, and any one of our customers can come to us regardless of how many records they have, sync with us, and get it all for one specific price. And I think that's very unique versus thinking about cost per record um, or thinking about a lookup tool, but actually having it at your fingertips and being able to play with that data within platforms like Evertrue, um, where we're not necessarily saying you have to consume it through Windfall. Um, yeah. There's products, they have their own suites, they have data warehouses. We really yeah. want them to be able to proliferate this data wherever they um, best see that information um, so that they can take action and ultimately drive their own uh, donations and, and, and contributions over time. Yeah, I, I think that um, from our vantage point, a lot of this will play out in the coming months and years as our mutual customers embrace this approach. But we feel like this is going to present a tremendous opportunity from a discovery perspective. You know, we have all of this digital engagement data that we've harnessed via our work at Evertrue. Um, but it, it, you know, in, in, in a certain sense, it's almost too much data. It's almost like there's too many engaged people relative to the sizes of the fundraising teams that we work with. And the fact that um, there are only so many portfolios uh, slots to go around for, for the major gift offers we work with. So it's really about how do we optimize to ensure that the absolute best prospects that aren't getting the attention they deserve um, get into portfolio and begin to experience, you know, personalized donor outreach efforts. And I think um, even based on some of our initial um, partnerships and, and some of the joint presentations we've done, this pocket of highly engaged, unassigned prospects who have high net worth is now a list, a segment that we can create that we've not really been able to do in a, in a programmatic way in the past. And so that's kind of the, the pocket that I'm really excited about. I'm curious as you think about um, some of your success stories in the nonprofit space thus far, are there, like, is it the ultra high net worth side of things? Is it the mid-level? I mean, where do you really see the biggest missed opportunity or where you see your customers having um, had the most success so far? 
Yeah, I, I think there's, there's really like three components to that um, question. One is uh, if you're only screening every three to five years, as we've really talked about beforehand, usually you're screening the folks that you already know about. And so at that point in time, you're really missing those other alternative opportunities where they're not assigned to a major gift officer, for example. Um, and if, if that's really the case, yes, your, your portfolio is, is kind of maxed out, but you might be focusing on the wrong people. Um, the secondary component associated with that is a lot of our legacy sources are not going to bubble up the same type of information that Windfall does. In fact, we hear about this a lot from our, our customers is that, oh, we've been doing wealth screening for the last 20 years. You guys found 20% more uh, folks above a million dollars than I had ever seen before. And guess what? We've validated all those. And yeah, you're about 95% right. We, we never attest that we're 100% accurate. No data vendor can be. So if they tell you that, um, that's probably one red flag that any, any uh, uh, prospect should, should really take a look at. But I think some of our success stories, as we think about it, really come down to you know, three factors. Um, the first is around accuracy. The amount of time that prospect research really spends um, validating their wealth screening or those other data points of that wealth of information um, is pretty remarkable. And so we had a major university gave us 4 million records. They chose 350 at random. We got 345 correct. 98%, that's pretty good, right? And, and it, it, it might not be, be down in the dollar, but if we're within, you know, plus or minus, you know, even a couple hundred thousand dollars, that's monumental to them where they can actually take a look at it. The second one that I, I think we talk about is the fact that we do uncover that additional hidden wealth. Um, so we did have a major hospital tell us that we had, you know, around 20% increases that their major gift officers had to spend a year going through because that was the amount of pipeline that we generated that was all qualified at the end of the day. And lastly, I think, you know, for things like Evertrue, uh, where I get really excited about it, is that you can have these triggers and alerts to our data set that makes it super actionable within their existing workflows. Yeah. So hopefully they can take those prospects that might not have never given in the last three years because they might not necessarily have the right capacity within their systems and replace them with somebody that might have the right affinity and ultimately have raised their hands appropriately. And, and we've kind of validated that that wealth profile is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about um, lead scoring and trying to use every piece of data that we have at our disposal to, to improve how we're mapping our limited resources against our prospect pool. And I think that just for our listeners, um, some of the kinds of alerts we'll be able to set up would be, you know, send me an email every time somebody who it has a net worth of, of, you know, $5 million engages with us on Facebook or makes their first donation or comes to an event. I mean, any of those kind of engagement signals that we're already tracking in Evertrue can now be mapped with that wealth data on a weekly refreshed um, basis. Um, at the same time, if you need to do your own predictive models or scoring, um, you will have that data at your disposal from an export perspective. So we're, we're excited about um, the, uh, the prospects. And I guess as you think about um, building your own sales organization, <clears throat> your own marketing effort, Arup, uh, and you've been a part of other companies that have been incredibly successful. And then at the same time, you've gotten a window into the quote unquote sales and marketing process or the uh, donor acquisition and retention uh, cycle in the nonprofit space. Has anything struck you or do you feel like there are lessons from your 
um, for-profit uh, experiences that uh, if you were leading a fundraising organization, you might try to apply in, in ways that you don't commonly see with, with your prospects, if, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. I think I can think about two, and, and you probably have some similar experiences from early days at Evertrue as well. Um, you know, what's, what's pretty interesting when you're a startup and raising from angel investors, it feels like you're almost going through that sales process with individuals as well and convincing them that you're on this mission to really change something. Um, and I, I think, you know, I've often described our series A, B, C as capital campaigns, just for my customers. I'm like, it's like what you're doing, creating a mission, coming up with a prospect list, engaging people, you know, making the ask. That's exactly what I do as an entrepreneur. Exactly. Correct. And, and as CEOs, we're, we're both always thinking about fundraising. Right. And so I think that uh, whether it's the right time or uh, potential investors. And, and I think similarly, you never know where that's going to come from, right? Uh, and, and so you have to really measure yourself and be opportunistic. But of course, as we talked a little bit about earlier, I think there's uh, you know, uh, an idea of around lead scoring or qualifi- qualification. And so uh, even in my previous role where we were actually selling to B2B marketers that were focused on predictive marketing, building uh, products to help them streamline for their sales reps. It's very similar to the nonprofit major gift world to a certain degree because their book of business actually kind of looks like you have a set a set of account-based marketing activities yes. um, or contact-based activities associated with you know 100 to 200 people. And so persistence is probably my my number one learning lesson associated with this. Because um, even with our own sales cycles, and we work with over 450 nonprofits across the country today, um, is that it might not necessarily be right from a timing perspective on the first conversation, even though it's interesting. But there's always that opportunity to keep that door open as long as you believe it's qualified. And so there's a, definitely a way of being able to track that, understand the various indicators associated with it, and really build that into your ideal customer profile. And as long as you say disciplined and have that persistence, and the message resonates. I think those are the components that actually lead to that successful outcome. Yeah, I mean, I just had a uh, reconnection with a university advancement leader who I first met five years ago, and we uh, have always had a good rapport, and we have never officially worked together. And it looks like December 2019 is going to be the chance that you know where that where the stars finally align. And I think that can be you know certainly frustrating, but um, but if, if you can stay optimistic and try to be helpful along the journey, uh, when the time is right, um, the time is right. And, and I think that that's a lot of what we see in the, the donor cultivation process as well. And there are plenty of great stories of somebody who hadn't given for 20 years. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they, they showed up and something had struck them along, along the way. Um, and, and hopefully again, this, this data, uh, combination can, mitigate the the risk that somebody could possibly go 20 years without really getting the kind of one-to-one engagement that that they might you know warrant as a as a potential donor um what else as you think about the next chapter i mean you've you've grown quickly uh at windfall maybe for a little bit of context if you want to share just sort of when you got started your your recent capital raise and then as you think about 2020 and beyond just what are the themes, you know, cause you're not, you're not done. I know you're not going to stop uh, innovating. You've got a strong foundation with good product market fit, but you clearly have a roadmap and without sharing 
you know, too many specific details, like what are the themes that you're excited about harnessing um, over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think um, the, the ways that we think about it, and, and we got started in 2016, and our big mission statement at the time was to determine the net worth or wealth of every person on the planet. Um, it's a very bold statement that will never get solved. If we, if we solve it, that would be, that would be cra pretty crazy. Um, but I think that that is the intellectual curiosity associated with our team members and the folks that we hire here is that we're constantly trying to push that innovation and that boundary associated with um, collecting that information. And we have a lot of software behind the scenes that ends up porting into different integrations and thinking about workflows and automation associated with it as well. But for us, the way we always kind of look at our North Star is around that accuracy metric. Um, and how do we push the boundaries associated with that? Um, and and in, in addition to that, outside of, you know, doing wealth screening or thinking about our additional attributes, is always trying to figure out what is important to our customers. So we believe in things, uh, a framework called customer-focused development, where it's always understanding what the customer really needs to take a look at first, what's going to drive value for them, and how do we respond to that as an organization ourselves? Um, and it's something that I've subscribed to for my entire career. And then ultimately for us at Windfall, it's about translating that to either additional attributes that we can provide that would help for additional segmentation or interests. Um, it includes also thinking about, uh, you know, releasing our own propensity to give product that we uh, released earlier this year at APRA. Um, and, and being able to translate that. So in case you don't have a data science team, how can Windfall as data scientists help you translate that information? Because there's a lot of competing priorities and we know that everybody's really busy. We look at this data all day, every day. Um, so let us help our customers kind of take a look at that on the next level. The final component that I would kind of mention, and then I'll get a little bit more into our, our fundraising and kind of where we've come as a business is that I think a lot of this outside of even the innovation has to do with customer success. And I know Evertrue has a very similar mentality associated with that as well, which is why I think this is a perfect partnership. We really believe in the feedback and the voice of that customer. I think that's where a lot of our legacy or historical competitors have kind of fallen down. They have very strong sales organizations. Uh, you feel like you're the, the shining star, but as soon as you take a look at their product, you kind of wonder where everybody went right? Uh, you, you kind of are in the middle of a desert by yourself with no water associated with it. We, we don't really want that to be the case here with us. We really want to make things actionable and help our customers understand how to leverage that data. I think that's where the market's really pushing um, everybody to be. Uh, for, for our co uh, company, uh, since 2016, when we got founded, as I mentioned, you know, we've grown to over 450 customers. Um, they, they range in all sizes of nonprofits across the country. Uh, we uh, just raised our Series A, uh, that we announced in August uh, at $9 million. Uh, we were lucky enough to have some pretty incredible investors around the table, including folks like Bullpen, uh, Industry Ventures, Value Stream, um, Bonfire Ventures, just to name a couple of them. Um, and our team is, is consistently growing. So even if you have, if there are listeners out there that uh, are looking uh, to kind of uh, a startup in San Francisco, uh, we are hiring across the board, looking to double the size of the team within the next 12 months. Awesome, man. Um, it's been exciting to have a window into that journey. So you, you mentioned uh, data science, and I, I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. It's hard for Silicon Valley startups that are well-funded with a lot of uh, terrific investors to hire data scientists, yet we are seeing more and more 
university advancement organizations, for example, trying to do that. And there is, is such a dearth of that talent everywhere. Um, it has been, it has been a real struggle for our customers. And I guess my question for you would be based on what you've learned so far about the sector and then building your own data organization, when does it make sense for an institution to hire data scientists, you know, to build that team internally versus can Winfall be the data scientist? And that's maybe not a fair comparison, but I guess when you think about the type of skills that you feel your best customers need to have in order to maximize the use of Windfall or Evertrue or any um, you know, data um, sort of oriented tool. Any perspective on that as, as you try to build your own team like that? Yeah, so I think that there's a, it's, it's interesting and it might be controversial to a certain degree, but I think that's what the question was probably aimed at a little bit. Um, so for us, we, we think about this as kind of the build versus buy, right? Um, there's, there's a lot of products out there that uh, are quote unquote data science oriented products. Now, at the end of the day, are they really data science? No, they're probably heuristics, which means they're based off of rule sets. And does that really mean that you're doing better than kind of your baseline? Probably, but is that gonna help you in terms of the predictive elements? Probably not. So when, I, when we take a look at our customers, we say, listen, hiring data scientists are super hard. We, we know that, right, being in the Bay Area, as you mentioned, even across the country, I think that there were 4X the number of jobs open than there are data scientists in the world. Like, so it's impossible to actually fill out that, that spectrum where you're seeing a lot of boot camps and people changing careers. And I'm really glad to see that folks are taking more statistics and computer science in order to kind of fill this void because I think it's gonna be very important in the future. But it's not just about hiring the data scientists. And I think that's one of the controversial components here. It's about managing and understanding exactly what does that actually mean? Because when you look at a model and when we talk to our customers, we're like, hey, how do you think about that when you put it into production? How do you think about a rock curve? How do you think about um, validating the model or thinking about holdout groups? Most of them kind of look at me and say, yeah, I know what those words mean, but I, I don't really actually know how to put that into production. That's where Windfall can come into place and say, listen, we'll be that outsourced team. We'll understand how to actually leverage that data. Again, why we are creating our net worth estimates. Sure, any of our customers could go out and do the same thing, but why do you want to go build that yourself? Now, if you do are lucky enough to have data scientists, because there are definitely other applications that we don't satisfy that you could, definitely hire them for those purposes. Um, but at the end of the day, those are still people. They have projects, they have other components, and they're not focused on this one singular thread. Um, where we can specialize and really help out our customers is augmenting their existing solutions so that they can focus on what their core competencies are really uh, geared towards versus what we are, which is more on the data side. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair, a fair answer. And, and we definitely see this tension right now with our customers, many of whom have tried to hire for this role and other roles and have been unable to. And I think that there is a, uh, a philosophical shift occurring where we've, I've got more and more leaders saying, I want to outsource everything. And that's extreme. But they're like, I know I'm not going to be able, be able to hire X, Y, Z position. It, you know, I, I can't be competitive on salary in X, Y, Z market. How might we uh, find a, a partner to uh, address the root issues versus uh, continuing to try and, and, and fail at the hiring process? And so I think 
like you said, there, I mean, the University of Iowa team, for example, has built a very strong data science organization. And there are a handful of examples like that out there. But for the most part, I think there have been, you know, misfires, mishires, uh, very challenging attempts. And so hopefully uh, we can continue to try to bridge that gap um, as that, uh, you know, as that talent shortage uh, likely grows in the coming years. Yeah, I think it's going to be more and more important for leaders of those organizations to also maybe take their own boot camp of data science for, for business and okay. also how, to, how to work with those data scientists. I think so that's if, probably the component there. If I were an advancement professional listening to this podcast right now, maybe leader, individual contributor, and I wanted to just get the basics around this, this space, what advice would you give me? Where should I look to just get a little bit of data science 101? Sure. So I think, you know, uh, there is a book that we actually recommend uh, for all of our new hires when they uh, start. Um, And it's this book that's actually called Data Science for Business, Uh, What You Need to Know About Data Mining and Data Analytic Thinking. Um, And so uh, you can you can buy it on Amazon or anything along those lines. It actually goes with every single one of our employees as they kind of uh, walk through the door. And the idea behind it is it does get very technical and complex. But if you can understand the thematic components of it and ultimately some of the language associated with it, it's always a really good resource for you to go back to. Um, It it might be some really nice bedtime reading uh, for for a lot of folks. Um, But, you know, I think that's start number one. I think the other component, just even before you start thinking about data science for business, would be to really have a good fundamental understanding of at least baseline statistics. Um, We did a uh, webinar and, and I do a lot of talks around um, how data science terminology versus statistics terminology, once you can translate that, it, it becomes a lot easier to understand. And once you break down some of those themes over and over again and get some repetition, well, all the large words that you know we all, we all throw around, supervised learning, unsupervised learning, actually become to make a lot of sense when, when you actually apply it in the real world. Um, but me saying that out loud, if you've never heard it before, don't worry, it's not actually that complex. Um, but you just probably need a little bit more baselines on those statistics. Love it. Valid recommendations for everybody. Uh, And I guess as we conclude today, any other themes that you wanted to cover, anything in your mind, any questions for me? Um, Otherwise we can, uh, we we, we can start to uh, start to wrap. Yeah, I, I think this has been uh, fantastic. I, I really do appreciate the time. I'm, I'm very excited about the Evertrue partnership. So, you know, what I'll, I'll, I'll end with, I, I think, what is my favorite part about this and, and kind of, uh, I, I would also like to thank Evan for coming up to me. It was actually at the NEDRA conference uh, where I presented around how wealth data is really, really hard. Um, but I think what I'm most excited about is the activation of this data um, associated with the platform and, and getting into the major gift officers as well as um, helping our prospect researchers out there uh, really get their hands on that raw information, which I know Evertrue has been working on for a while. Um, so I think that this has been a fantastic way for them to activate that in a very quick manner. Um, so that's my most exciting portion. I would probably ask you that same question and kind of end it up with as well. Yeah, I mean, what what we think about constantly is how can we use the combination of the best data from our customers' databases, third-party integrations with companies like Windfall, engagement insights from platforms like Facebook to surface 
quality prospects that are not getting the attention they deserve. And I think what's on us is to make it almost impossible for excellent prospects to be ignored. And we know that with every one of our customers, there are incredible prospects hanging out in the middle of the pyramid that have capacity, that are high affinity, that are not assigned. And with our current set of technologies, legacy technologies, they are not going to surface. And it is on us to ensure that we, you know, our mission at Evertrue is to build relationships in pursuit of a better world. And we really think it is data that can surface the relationships that need to be built in pursuit of the missions of our respective customers. And so um, I know that by, by marrying our work with yours, it's going to uh, represent a, a massive step forward in that regard. Um, I, I know that with our pilot partners who've already um, signed on to unify your work and ours, they're, they're not only great organizations, but there are great individuals at those organizations that are thinking about proactive discovery in the way that you do and that I do. And, and so I have no doubt that we're going to have tremendous success. And I think if there, there are those of you who are listening who, who aren't Windfall customers yet, um, we have a, a, a relationship where we can help make that re- uh, introduction. So don't hesitate to reach out to your Evertrue customer success manager, but obviously just go to their website as well. Um, and if you're an Evertrue customer and you're not too familiar with the work that we're doing with Windfall, uh, stay tuned because there's going to be a bunch of announcements and webinars and uh, this podcast is one uh, step in, in that direction. But uh, we're excited by the, uh, the, the potential, but I think we're going to be e- even more enthusiastic to share the actual results um, as prospects are identified and proposals are uh, developed and as revenue uh, is is generated by uh, all of you listening. So uh, I think without further ado, I, w- I will just say thank you, Arup. Congrats on uh, achieving your recent um, Series A uh, capital campaign, if you will. And, and that will uh, hopefully allow you to really continue to focus on doing the innovative work that you're doing. And uh, best wishes to uh, the whole Windfall team. We're excited to be working with all of you. Uh, and here's to good things uh, to come. Thank you, Brent. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Arup. Cheers. Thank you.